Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. This episode is brought to you by Unstuck Yourself, a series of soul chats to help you get out of your own way. It's a self-study course I created for you. That's right. You can go through this course all by yourself on your own time at your own schedule, at your own pace, with all the ease and spaciousness you want. We all get stuck every once in a while. It's just part of life, but we don't have to stay stuck. This course will help you get aware about where you are, where you wanna go, will help you accept the process, and will get you moving. To learn more, go to kelseyabbott.com slash unstuck. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Audrey Holst. Audrey and I met at the beginning of coach training at IPAC on day one. I think she came over and sat with me. I think she said it was because I had a smoothie. Um, So we go way back in this coaching journey, and I'm so excited to share her with all of you. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you so much. So really, what was it that made you come over and sit next to me? It was the smoothie. It was an easy <laughs> access point. I was like, ah, oh, she's got a smoothie. I can start a conversation without being totally awkward in the intro. So it was, it was the smoothie that drew me to you initially and more things that kept me here over time. Yeah. So over time, we've had some fun together. We, um, we were accountability buddies for a while which was a really fun, it was really helpful. What we did is checked in once a day, Monday through Friday. And just, well, the plan was for it to just be a quick check-in was the one thing you're focusing on today. And it usually ended up being like at least an hour long conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That is completely, which is probably why it's not happening anymore. (laughs) Definitely. But I, I do still think it's a great concept for building a business. Totally. And it's something I still, I still employ for sure. Oh, awesome. So you've moved on. <laughs> we should reconnect. As soon as you said it, I was like, we should reconnect on that. We yeah, we should. That up again. Yeah, we could totally do it over text or something too, mm-hmm. which would probably be more efficient for us. I like it. Okay. So Audrey, how did you come to coaching? I came to coaching uh, how I have come to many other things in my life just by circumstances lining up in a certain way that led me to a door that seemed interesting to open. I remember teaching a yoga class and after class one day, um, a student coming up to me and telling me, you should really be a life coach. And I thought that was the most hysterical thing I'd ever heard. And I'd never even heard of a life coach. And I thought it was just really funny. And I don't have, there's some gray areas in my memory, but the next thing I remember was being on the internet at 11 o'clock at night, Googling life coaching schools and, uh, and reading through IPAC and just having certain elements of the program really resonate with me and just signing up instantly and being confident that this was something that every cell in my body was, was like, yes, this is the next thing. So that is my, that's my story. That's a good one. Yeah. I I find it interesting. I hadn't, yeah, I didn't know life coaching existed when I first heard about it as well. And I wonder how true that is for everyone that gets into coaching. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a common, a common scenario that these stars line up and then the thing happens. So one of the things that we have shared in common is we're both really aware of our bodies and our physical experiences. Mm-hmm. How, how are you using that? How do you play with that? What's, what, are you, what are you pondering when it comes to that? Yeah. So one of the things that has been really 
up for me lately is this pulling apart of experiences in the moment, especially in relationship with other people. Um, my experience in the past has been, and this is something that I talk to clients with also, this kind of pulling apart of moments, um, that in conversation, words are exchanged, and then there's something about the words that can cause something to happen, and then there either becomes conflict or confusion or reactivity or defensiveness. There's these things that happen in relationship. And um, so there is this practice of, that I've been doing and that I, I recommend of just noticing physical sensations when they come up in response to certain things, certain words, certain moments, um, and just being aware of the physicality of them and the fact that they're present. Because so often um, it's such a common experience for us to be up in our heads and so in an analytical um, intellectual space that we totally neglect everything from our neck down, which is greatly informing our experience in the moment. And to ignore that is giving a huge disservice to what our reality actually is. So having this awareness of physical sensations and how those inform how we receive the world and interpret the world is um, something that we need to talk about, <laughs> something that needs to be talked about and people need to understand because it's, it's just um, having this awareness makes a huge difference on how the world, how you can receive the world and how you can be in the world. Amen. <laughs> okay, so we, I totally, this resonates with me hugely. And it's something I work with my clients with as well. Mm -hmm. But for people listening, they might just be like, I have zero body awareness. Which, by the way, if you know that you have zero body awareness, congrats, you've got awareness at least. Yeah. All right, so for the people who have zero body awareness, how are they supposed to get out of their heads? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the, um, the, the first thing I think is the value of, is, is pointing out the value of, of getting out of your heads. I'm making air quotes right now, getting out of your head. Um, you know, why, why is this important? Why is this a thing? Um, it's because I'll use analogy of, it's like trying to make a sandwich without the bread, right? It's like, I'm making this sandwich and I'm like looking at all the, the ingredients, but like what actually makes this a sandwich is the fact that there's bread on either side right? That's the reality of, of what this is. So how we receive the world is informed on, in these like feelings and these interpretations of these feelings. Like if I'm with somebody and there's somebody I really like and all these words are feeling really good to me, like I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel enjoyment. I'm going to perceive this moment as really nice. Um, and if that person says a, a phrase or a word that trips something in my history or trips something in my physical body, all of a sudden something comes up in me and now I'm feeling nervous and I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling angry. And if I don't have an awareness that that's just happened, uh, that can really mess up my relationship with this person in, in a way that is not necessary. Um, so maybe that's over explaining, but that seems like a starting point of why getting out of our heads is important. Wait, I feel like this is a, a I thought it was a good example. Um, or a good explanation. And it made <laughs> me think of certain experiences I've had with certain words or with interactions with people. With people that are super aware, I've, for instance, used the word like badass. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to a client who's super aware and she's like, that word doesn't resonate with me, but I get where you're going. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I remember I used to have this really strong aversion to the word feminine. Because feminine was simply an adjective to describe feminine, feminine products. <laughs> that's the first, that's the exact same. When you said the word feminine, I'm like, you mean feminine products? That's literally the reaction I just had as you yeah, said Yeah, that is an aisle in the drugstore. <laughs> yes. And I realized it doesn't have that effect on me anymore. But I remember like four years ago, somebody saying like, what does the word feminine mean to you? And I was like, feminine products. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of these things, as you're saying that, it makes me uh, just think about the fact that when we have awareness around things, when we start to untangle things, when we start to have awareness around things, we can't see them. And it totally changes our relationships. Like once something, once we have an awareness around something, that never goes away. It's like we, we've brought it out now and we can't unsee it. <laughs> so that's, that's one of those things. It's like if you are interested in this sort of work or if you're interested in 
um, like making shifts in your life that are outside of the norm, um, be aware of that. Like once you see things, you can't unsee them and then you are in it. You know, like that's, that's part of this, this journey. And that awareness helps so much because let's think about if somebody use, say you're like your best friend uses a word that you really don't like, are you then like 10 years from now going to be like, yeah, I'm not friends with that person anymore because she used that word and I don't like it. Like, let's just take a moment to say humans are ridiculous. Yeah. And it could happen. Yeah. And you know, there are things things in language, things in, and, it, and it's also interesting to notice just language in general. Um, when people speak with sweeping generalizations, that has a tendency to trip me up um, often. Um, if somebody was to say something, for instance, like, you know, the world is a really dangerous place, or like, people are just jerks, or like making sweeping generalizations often creates a reaction in myself because I just feel like this person has spoken for me without permission. Mm, like, okay, like I'd like to hear you say like, okay, cool. It sounds like that's your perspective. And I'm curious what has you saying that? Because that's not my, that's not my experience. And I don't want that put on me. Right. Like I have these awarenesses now around certain words and certain language that gets me tangled up. And then um, how that affects how I am interp- how I'm hearing somebody or not hearing somebody or receiving the information, that sort of stuff. So do you always speak up in a situation like that? If you're having a conversation with someone that you don't know that well, or like you're in a big group and somebody says like the world is a really dangerous place, do you speak up or what's your protocol? It depends on the context. Um, it depends on my... It depends on, I think there's a couple of different things that go through my mind in that situation. Um, And it's context dependent on my relationship with the people involved, how much I care. Like if if it's somebody that's some random person that I'm never going to see again and uh, like, I don't care, whatever. They can make some sweeping dinners of generalization, doesn't really matter. Um, If it's people that I have a pre-established relationship with and that I know that this statement is going to sit with me in relationship with them, then you know, I, I may bring it up or, or bring it up later. Um, so it definitely is context dependent for me. Okay. Getting back to getting into your body. So we've got the, the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if this analogy is going to work, but I'm just going to, I'm going to see what I can go. I'm going to see if I can force this metaphor, like get this metaphor to work. I'm, I'm going to say what happens. Okay, go <laughs> take it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> We'll call it a survival sandwich. Let's, yeah, let's just see what we can go with this metaphor. This is a new metaphor for me to be using. So we'll just go with it, right? It's a survival sandwich, right? The, the reason we are still, the reason we are both having this conversation together right now is that we've survived our life up until this point. You know, like we are alive and we've made it through our lives and we're here now. And um, our whole system is wired to do that. Our whole system wants us to be here. And that's how how we are wired to be is to be alive, right? Everything in our system wants is alive. Um, And so our system will do what it needs to do to have that happen. And historically it's done that. So even from when we were little, very little, right? We've had certain things that have worked for our system in order to keep us alive. And as we get older, um, these things can still fire, right? These survival mechanisms can still fire. And as adults, we now are in a a situation where we kind of need a system upgrade, right? It's like having a cell phone that, I'm changing my metaphor now, having a cell phone that uh, like the reception's not that great or like it drops a lot of calls, it needs a system upgrade. And that's what happens with us over time too, is if we don't rewire some of these habitual things. Um, And that is really uncomfortable. When you start to rewire things, when you start to change habits, when you start to do things that are contrary to what your body thinks has kept you alive for this long, there's, that's that whole be with discomfort, be comfortable with discomfort. Because when you start to rewire things, your survival mechanism goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what we've done in the past to keep you alive. And there's this moment of being with that discomfort and sitting in that and having the thing change shift into a new way of, of perceiving or being or feeling that sort of thing. Um, I think I'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah. I think one thing we don't necessarily realize is that 
the way we do things, the habits, whether they're physical habits or mental habits, like our thoughts, our thought patterns are habits. Mm -hmm. And so if we've been thinking the same way that we may not even be aware of, Mm -hmm. or however long we've been alive, we've basically paved a highway in our brain, making it really easy to think that. It doesn't mean we can't change. It just means we're going to, we're going to create a new road and it's going to be under construction. It's not going to be as smooth pavement as that highway. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be rocky. And it's going to take some like conscious awareness to take that route. And repetition. Yeah. Like that's one of the things that learning requires that I am the first one to admit do not like about learning is that learning requires repetition, which means it's something that has to be done over and over and over again until the default changes to something different. Like repeat it, do it again, do it again. And every time you do it, it's like learning any new habit. Like if I started brushing my teeth with my other hand, it would be so awkward and I'd have to be thinking about it so hard every single time. And that's like any change is repetition and repetition and repetition and repetition and repetition until, like you said, that new highway gets paved over smoothly, the default gets shifted, all of these things come from one place to another place. Yes. And I think with some things with like physical activities, we tend to be more understanding like, Oh, okay. I've never done this before. I have to learn. Mm -hmm. I have to increase my strength to be able to do this. I need to increase my flexibility. I just need to learn how to do this. But then there are other things that we're almost like personally insulted when we're not when we don't like hit it out of the park on the first try, mm. like launch a business and wait, why am I not a big deal? <laughs> why aren't the people walking to me? Totally. Yeah. I see. It's, I think it's a, I would, I'll make a generalizing sweeping statement right here. It seems to be something that we are unaccepting as adults. We think that at a certain age, we should just be able to do it. Like we understand with kids, like they're new to the world. It's going to take them some time to figure it out, but we're not forgiving as adults that the learning process is not different. And as adults, um, unless you're actively learning or actively studying on a regular basis, we have different ways of learning. We have different things on our plates. And sometimes it does take actually longer to make those changes because we have so much history of default, everything. So, um, having some understanding and forgiveness for the amount of time and energy and effort sometimes that it takes to make little shifts is really important to being successful at making these things happen. Yeah. This, this work that we both do with our clients, this changing your mindset, changing your thought patterns, up-leveling your life. It's, it's called work for a reason. Like it doesn't happen instantly. You can't just flip a switch. Mm-hmm. You got to do the work and you got to be willing and you got to be brave to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's like brave, willing work and also gentle, forgiving and understanding. Like there, these are, and this is the juxtaposition that's so challenging is, is being able to hold these two things as true at the same time. Like having fierceness and having persistence and also being gentle. Um, one of the words, and I, this is one of these things I talk about that makes me crazy because language is so powerful is to talk about things like self-sabotage. I, that word drives me up the wall because it, when I hear that word, it implies that, oh, I, I don't have my own self at, in interest. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working against myself. And then for me, that takes it out of, again, out of a physical experience into an intellectual exercise where all of it's like, well, oh, well, why, how can I, and you know, and it becomes this like this mental exercise that's actually not honoring the experience that's actually happened. Like, oh, how does this make sense? How does it make sense that this is the way that I'm doing things? Because having that understanding first allows us to feel more relaxed that we're not nuts, that this is, that this makes sense. And then having a conscious moving from that place. So how would you describe what other people call self-sabotage? I think what I, what I would describe is what I, if I was to make a new term for it, it would just be outdated mode of operating, mm. like time for a, an operating system up, 
upgrade or up, upload. Um, yeah, I actually had an experience I shared in a, in a speech a few weeks ago, but um, I was doing a bike workout and I had, I think, four intervals and it was a really hard set and I made the first two and I was so excited and this thought, it was, it was as though it was a drive-by thought and the <laughs> thought was you made, you nailed the first two, it's okay if you don't hit the next two and I was like, it, it's like I was able to look at that thought and be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I don't like, no, I'm not going to pick you up. Yeah. Yeah. I love those drive-by thoughts. It's so yeah. funny. Like, you are in the wrong head right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> wrong, wrong body. Go find, I think you are in the wrong system. You got to go, go find the person you're looking for. This is not yeah. the one. I've outgrown that thought pattern. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I ever had it, but I, I'm sure there were times. So I definitely saw it very clearly. And you can't unsee it, right? Once you've seen the drive-by thoughts, you can't unsee the drive-by thoughts. Yeah. You still don't have to do anything with them. They're just driving by. <laughs> exactly. I remember, like, and this one was like in an unmarked van. It was totally like, <laughs> <laughs> Did he in that one? <laughs> Stranger danger. <laughs> oh, it's <that's> amazing. <laughs> Okay, so again, body. How do you help somebody get back in their body if they're in their head? Yeah. The first thing is just being aware that there is a thing called sensations. Um, Sensations being when I am sitting here, I can notice physical stuff that happens within me. Um, sometimes I can feel a tightness in my chest or even just sitting here, I can notice that I've got some tension down the left side of my neck. Um, I've got my, (laughs) I've got my fingers interlaced in my toes right now on my left foot. Um, just having an awareness of, of the physicality of my experience, um, helps to first help me recognize that I'm, that I have this physical body and how it interacts with my environment and also start to pull apart that often when we say, I feel this, sometimes we are expressing a feeling. And then sometimes we're expressing something that's not actually even a feeling. It's like, I feel you're a jerk. I feel like you're a jerk. Like, well, okay, that's not actually, (laughs) it's not actually a feeling you're expressing there. But often when we have these things come up, it starts with a physical sensation. Okay. So I've got this like tightness in my chest and it's sort of, I uh, there's a sense of closing off the front of my body and I am feeling afraid. Like there's, oh, there's like something there. And just basically, again, it's, it's like an awareness and understanding. The more we feel like oh, humans are meaning makers, right? They make meaning out of everything. So the more we can start to understand what these messages are, or at least try to understand these messages, it's re- it, it feels relaxing. It feels like we can understand ourselves better which just makes interacting with the world a way more possible thing. Okay, hold on. Because I'm still, like, I've still got the, what you just said, that humans are meaning makers, is still repeating in my head. Yeah. Can you explain that a little more? We, we, it's very difficult for um, us to leave things as simple equations. Um, so, and I think this is, this comes into that whole mental exercise thing um, with the self-sabotage. Um, so let me give a scenario to say, okay, like I'm having a conversation and I'm starting to feel some tension, like I'm feeling some tension in my body in relationship to this person. And there's something about the situation that's making me feel a little bit squidgy and like, the meaning I may make out of that sensation is like, this person's a jerk. Like this person is just a total idiot and they don't know what they're talking about. Even though I may just be having some sort of reaction to something that they've said, or maybe, maybe there is something that they've said that's, that's creating an unpleasant sensation, but all of a sudden they're a jerk. Even though that has nothing to do with them, I'm just, create, I'm just feeling something in myself that has had some sort of a information. Right. But now, now it's become an interpretation and we've made meaning. I've made meaning out of this 
thing that's happened in me. And I made it mean something about somebody else. That's a very like complicated, that feels like a slightly complicated explanation, but I'm curious if that, like, I'm curious what it is to hear that. And if that feels a little bit more clarity around that meaning making I yeah, feel like that it, is a conversation. I think that's helpful. I think one of the things that I thought of as you started explaining is I was like, oh yeah, I do look for meaning in things. You know, I see, I see a bird like four times on a run and I start being like, I wonder what the symbolism is of that. Totally. Or I shared in my Insta story today, and I don't know if this is going to resonate with anyone, but uh, my former chiropractor used to say I was a Ferrari and like just a high performance machine. And this morning when I left the pool after my workout, there were two cars parked on either side of my car. One was a Porsche, one was a Jaguar. And I was just like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that reminder. (laughs) But then, I mean... It was really just my car and two other cars. It was, there were three cars. I made the meaning out of it. Totally. And I think what's interesting in that is the, um, it's, I imagine like what the meaning gets made into is very dependent on the current state, right? Like I imagine like your state of being, like you're feeling fairly open or I'm interpreting it as like fairly open, fairly positive and like, wow, like this feels positive or like this makes me think of this other positive thing. And right, the same thing is true as if we're in a slightly like, right, we can make meaning of things when we're not feeling that great. And maybe the meaning becomes a negative thing. And this is something that is important too, to understand, um, like feeling like the negative feeling and the negative interpretations are way easier for our systems and way more prevalent for our systems because of that whole survival mechanism, right? Like it's better to run away from the thing that might kill us than to like take a few moments to check out and see if this thing is actually going to kill us. So, um, yeah. So often where people get a little bit tangled up is they start making a meaning of these things. This mean, well, this means I'm stupid. This means I'm lazy. This means I'm not capable. This means I'm not strong enough. This means, this means, this means, right. All of these sort of negative rolling a ball down the hill that just builds momentum. Um, so yeah, that's another, that's another piece yeah. that's really interesting. Negativity bias is a real thing. Totally. Uh, and I think of it as telling ourselves a story and then gathering evidence for it. Yes. And it can show up in terms of self-criticism. So maybe you, and I can use another sports example, like swimming is a high-scale sport. So it's something where you're always, you're always really aware of your body and how you're placing it in the water. <laughs> so you can be like, oh, my stroke feels off. And then you look for evidence of where it's off. Right. What am I doing wrong? Which may even go so far as to asking someone, hey, what's wrong? What am I doing? It feels like it's my right arm. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and gathering evidence, it's such, a good, it's such a good point. It's like gathering, what is it that you're trying to prove? Like, what's the, what's the hypothesis you're trying to prove to yourself? That there's a problem here? that like, well, this is why I'm too slow or that, right. There's like, what's the thing that I want to be true. Right. And it's something that I, so I will take that a little further and say that I recently became aware that I was telling myself a story that my body was not aligned. And I realized, yeah, it was every day looking for evidence of that. So I have consciously, and it's taken work. I have consciously changed that story to my body is awesome. And then I try to look for evidence of that. Yeah, which is, I imagine, a, an effort. Like there's some efforting in the beginning there of that evidence gathering in the other direction. Right, because my brain has the highway to look for the flaws, mm-hmm. to look for the lack of alignment. Totally. So instead, I'm going down the construction road. It's a little bumpy and windy and... <laughs> some potholes. Yeah, I have to stop for chickens and whatnot <laughs> on the road. <laughs> No cell service there. <laughs> that's true, right? That's actually that I love that analogy, the thought of having no cell service, because it does feel like that sometimes when you're building new pathways. Like you're all alone on this highway. It's all bumpy. No cell phone service. It feels it feels kind of lonely. And that's the thing why it's so brilliant to have a coach or have some sort of support system when you're on these journeys, because you will feel like you are out in the middle of nowhere with no cell phone service. And that it's not possible to continue on this way. Yeah. So it's like, oh, right. That's why 
support and encouragement and having tools and having somebody at your side to go through this sort of stuff is so helpful. Yeah. We need people. We need people. People need people. And, and it is true also with personal growth, we can outgrow our friends mm-hmm. and that can be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I have mixed feelings on that, on that subject. Um, I think that I have taken it on a different, um, like, I think, I think that I interpret that as, um, as I become more aware of pieces of myself, um, these other pieces of myself need company. Like, so as I like in, uh, uncover more pieces and, and expand my awareness of myself, like these pieces want more company. And sometimes I need to expand my circle in order for these pieces to have, to have company and, and knowing that like, uh, you know, existing friends or certain friends, um, you know, sometimes maybe that's an outgrowth, you know, the, the relationship has been outgrown or whatever. And sometimes it's just like these certain pieces feel really nourished there, but then there's other pieces that need bigger playgrounds or other playgrounds to be with. I love the playground analogy. <laughs> I'm just full of metaphors today. Are. Are, there, there are going to be metaphors all over this place, like sandwiches, cell phones, <laughs> playgrounds. They're all here. They're all here. Okay. So this is kind of a tangent, but I feel like we're going to bring it to something because when you talk about sandwiches, I remember this exercise that we did in high school English. <laughs> it has nothing to do with actual food. I already love this tangent. Go for it. <laughs> um, so we had to write how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was instructions for an alien. And so most people, did you have to do this? I've seen, there's a YouTube video where a, a dad has his kids do this and then he follows the directions to a T and it's the most hysterical thing to watch. Yes. Okay, yeah. So basically people will be like, you got to take the peanut butter and put it on the bread. Okay, well, so that, that's going to result in you picking a, a jar of peanut butter and putting it on the bread. So you have to get into the nitty gritty. Like the alien doesn't even know how to get the bread. Right. So, I mean, you don't have to make the bread unless you want to, this exercise can already take a really long time. (laughs) So I would recommend that you describe to them how to remove the tab that closes the, the bag that the bread is in and remove two pieces of bread, put them on a plate. Oops. They might not know what a plate is. So you got to explain that. Yeah. And you're getting into the nitty gritties of like, how do you unscrew a jar? Mm -hmm. And I think this is something in society. We're not aliens, or maybe we are. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on your perspective. But I feel like humans are, have a tendency towards being really lazy with our communication. And I feel like this is a really good example, this peanut butter and jelly sandwich for aliens, Mm -hmm. it can be a really good example of slowing down and practicing communicating to be understood. Yeah, there's this, um, there's this book um, called Getting Real. And I am totally going to forget the author right now. Um, that's something I can find. We can look it up. We can look it up. Um, and um, where was I going with that? That sparked, that sparked something for me and now it's gone. It's po- it popped out of my head. I'll come back to it. But the, the thing that, that I think you just said about the, the communicating, oh, it came back. The communicating to um, be understood. There's, I think there's a couple of different things there too for communication. When um, being understood, um, communication is a skill. This is something that we are not taught how to do. And it's something that you can actually practice how to do. And um, one of the things that we often do in communication, which is very subtle, but it's, again, one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. A lot of us will communicate or not communicate. And this is something that, that she mentions in this book, in an effort to control, not to relate. Hmm. So often in our communications, we have an agenda of changing the other person having an influence over the relationship, getting them to see our way. Um, you know, sometimes we withhold information because we're afraid of how they might perceive us. So still that's a controlling of perception. Um, so there's something about, yeah, commu- what we say, what we don't say, and whether that's in service of trying to control the perception or whether we are actually just showing up and speaking what's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting that we use, so the, the point of communication is to communicate feelings, thoughts, instructions, like a whole number of things. Mm-hmm. And then to understand, like if you're the recipient, to understand it, to learn it, just to listen and hold space for it mm-hmm. or possibly to advise. Um, and yet we're using, we use this, this gift of communication. We use it as a weapon sometimes mm-hmm. and as a way for us to try to control others. It's interesting. Yeah. Totally. And I think the, one of the levels of communication, so now you've got me in a soapbox that I'm like freaking, I can just like, boom. Preach, Audrey. <laughs> um, the, one of the things that we are, um, we, take, we take out of communication often is the, the reality of, of the feeling of the conversation and the feelings in the conversation and the relationship between the two people having the conversation. Um, you know, we are often very fact-based conversers like this happened, this happened, this happened, this person did this, right? And very often we leave out the thing that informs our entire experience. Again, it's this bodily, it's tied into the body sensation of like how I felt about it, how it affected me, how, like what my relationship was with that person, what the relationship is with me and you right now as we're having this conversation, this deeper layer that everybody is tracking on some way, shape or form, but we don't actually bring out into the light and actually don't know that much about it. Um, You know, there's plenty of practices that look at that, but don't actually bring it into communication. You know, even mindfulness, meditation practice, right? We tap into all those things, but we don't bring that out. Um, Mm. So yeah, that's my... So how can we improve our communication? Well, I think that's a big question. <laughs> I like big um, questions. Yeah, I guess the, 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 the question is, what do you, well, when you ask that question, what do you mean by improve our communication? I recently came across in one of the groups I'm in on Facebook, somebody said that um, they really admired, they listed a few people that they really admired for their interpersonal skills and leadership skills and communication skills. And they asked for like, what advice people had? What's the key to becoming, to improving your interpersonal skills, to being better with interpersonal communication? And I I shared an answer, but I wanna know what you came up with. The first thing that comes up is another question. This this is the problem is when you ask a coach a question, what does the coach come up with? Another freaking question. So, uh, okay, I'll I'll just try to do some. You can ask a question. Uh, I guess the question is. Yeah, I guess the question is okay. Like improving interpersonal skills in service of what? In service of deepening relationships? In service of, um, you know, showing up better at work? Like communicating with people at work better? Um, and like, what is the, what's the res, like what's the desired result on the other side of improved interpersonal communication? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. How much does it matter though? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, if we just want to, like, does it really matter who we're, who we're talking to? Yeah, I guess it, I guess it doesn't really, I guess it doesn't really matter. So um, the first thing that, um, the first thing that comes up is the fact that communication is a skill and communication is a behavior, um, which means that it is something that can, that will take practice. So again, this is another, all right, if you want the magic pill to take here for this thing that doesn't exist. And the number one thing I think is starting to get to know yourself really, really well. Um, Because again, how we communicate with other people, how we receive the information that they bring to us, how, um, how we're able to be in a conversation or be in a conflict or not um, depends on our knowledge of ourselves and our physical responses and how it is to be with people and how willing we are to speak what is true for us in the moment. Um, so yeah, it feels like a really big, huge loaded question and a good one. And so I think my first thing is, yeah, know thyself. That seems like the first point in any sort of situation, um, before reaching out 
outwards, essentially, is having some, having some looking inwards and then starting to go outwards. So what it sounds like you're saying is like, we have to be willing and able to be present with ourselves mm-hmm. to, I often have this image of my clients before they work with me are, they're separate from their bodies and their souls. Like they're, they're just not, they're not, they're kind of disconnected. It's like, there's a sh- hologram version of them. And then there's the real version of them. And the two aren't enmeshed yet. Mm-hmm. And then through doing deep work, we get them. So they're, they are all connected mm-hmm. so they can be their best shiniest self. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm hearing you say is like, get in your body, get in your soul, get in your mind to be able to communicate. So to show up for other people, to receive for other people. Yeah, definitely the starting point. And um, in order to do anything, right, what we were talking about, um, to learn anything or to get good at doing a thing, to practice anything is to practice the thing. So um, when it comes to communication, that means having practice partners, like having people to practice communicating with and get feedback on, like, how did that land? How, you know, like, what is it like to hear this? You know, because when it comes to interpersonal stuff, we can't improve interpersonal stuff by ourselves. We need to do it in relationship. So, um, you know, that may mean having, having a coach that may mean having a group of friends who are game for this sort of stuff. You know, it just depends on what your situation is. So I think that's the other piece too, that, um, you know, a lot can be done in a bubble with self. And at the same time, especially when it comes to interactivity with other people, we need to do it with other people. I feel like we're coming back to what kind of the concept of a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm. And this concept of, we need people. Because it's not just communication, interpersonal communication that happens with other people. Mm -hmm. This whole life thing happens with other people. (laughs) Doesn't it? So if we consciously choose who we surround ourselves with and set ourselves up, know what we need. What do we need to thrive? What kind of people do we need in our lives? Like we had the accountability thing going on. That's what we needed in our lives at that time. Um, Yeah. So choose, surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up. Totally. And I think it's good to, um, it's good to know, sort of have an awareness around what, what phase you're in, you know, like in the beginning, especially it's like anything new and tender takes some protection, takes some coddling, takes some development, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think it's important to have the, those support systems set up, especially when things are developing. And um, I think it's important too to have people in our lives, again, depending on what stage we're in and depending on where we're at, to challenge us also. Because it's not cool for me in my own experience, like when I get stuck in my own little bubble and I'm like, okay, this is the way things are. And I'm not hearing from other people's perspectives. I'm not hearing other people's voices. um, That's very limiting. And the more I can be with people who also are, you know, can challenge my perspectives and also, you know, that I can listen to and and be listened by, um, it just expands my world and just allows me to be, again, open up these parts of myself, like all the pieces of myself. So, um, yeah, to me at different stages, again, this is not something that's like appropriate at all stages of, of change or whatever. Um, I think having challenges, having different perspectives is also really valuable. How do we know what stage we're in? It's a good question. Um, I think logistically, it can be a a thing, right? Like if you've just started working on this thing, like you've just had this awareness, wow, I am, you know, if we use the communication thing, like, okay, I'm trying to work on my communication skills. Um, Probably not going to just like go out to a stranger on the street and just like start up a conversation. Like unless your goal is to talk to people that you never talked to before, you know? Um, So going through there's a sort of internal sense that um that we often have of being uncertain or being unsure or feeling like we've got training wheels on and so like that kind of visceral self felt experience is a really good indication that there's some learning going on um and then there's also some logical like overlooking because sometimes that's a limit a limitation where it's like okay you have been doing this thing a long time and it's time for you to step forward 
you know. Um, so I'm not sure if that actually answers the question, but it is a really important question. It's a really interesting question. I think as I was thinking, like kind of letting it percolate in my mind as you were talking, I think it feels like we need other people again. Mm. Like that somebody from the outside can tell us, especially if it's that we're brand new at something and we're beating ourselves up about it. It's a really good point. Yeah, it's a really good point. Somebody who knows us really well and can know like, hey, no, actually when you speak, this is how, this is how you are. Like, this is how I'm receiving it. This is how you sound. This is what is coming across. You know, you may feel this way and this is how it's being perceived. Like you sound solid on this yeah. as opposed, to, and, and you may feel not solid, but this is what's actually real on the other side. Yeah. 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 That's a great observation. Yeah. We need mirrors yeah. and we need people to call us out. Oh, uh, the people. Yeah. I think that was one of my most difficult learnings um, is I really wanted to do everything myself. I think the reality that I needed support and that I needed other people and it was in service of so many amazing things in my life. I think that was one of the hardest things to really come to terms with in the beginning of, um, whatever you want to call this work of, of change or shift or, um, becoming more sure and confident in myself. So I, I imagine that there's probably a lot of people out there that are thinking something similar, like I can do this myself. There's some pride in being able to do this myself. Um, and that's not how we're wired. And it's not ultimately, I believe as people who live in society with other people, um, is serving us best and serving the people around us best. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think that we tend to celebrate kids as, oh, you did that all by yourself. Yay, good for you. Right. And at the same time, how, how is the kid interpreting that? How is that going to show up later in their lives? Yeah. Yes, independence is awesome. Yeah. And so is asking for help and needing help and receiving help. Right, right. And supporting and being supportive of others too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's such a, I feel like that's a, a topic for next time. Oh, into there's so much. There's how just to ask so for help. Much. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I feel like we're coming, uh, we, um, we've had these conversations in the past and um, how we've said, oh yeah, you know, like we should record these sometimes. And, and now you are, and there's still so much to talk about, which I just love. There, yeah, so that's okay. You can come back again. Oh, <laughs> I hope I can. I'm so excited. Um, one more question for you. Yeah. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Oof. Scariest thing I've ever done. Hmm. The first thing that pops up, um, it's funny. I think that sometimes when I share these things, people point to other things that have happened in my life to be like, wow, that seems a lot scarier than that thing you shared. But um, there, but they're was, not in your head. Yeah. In my head, I think the scariest thing, or maybe it's more of like a scariest moment. I, um, I was backcountry camping in Denali in Alaska and camping overnight. And I got woken up in the middle of the night. I was with my partner at the time and the wind was whipping down the mountain and we were in this valley. Um, our tent was in this valley and the wind was whipping down the mountain so hard and so strong that you could hear it coming over the, the mountain. It sounded like a wave crashing wow. and then it hit the tent and it was so strong that the tent went completely sideways and I was, the, the tent poles went completely flat against the ground. So like I was sandwiched between the ground and the tent poles and, um, and then it would sort of ease up and then you could hear the wind rushing down and it was happening like that all night long. And I remember this terror of, you know, backcountry camping, there is nobody around. It's just you. And I, I just didn't know. I just felt this, I think this powerful force of nature. And I remember thinking, is this it? <laughs> like, my partner was saying Hail Marys. You know, I was like, I was definitely doing some praying in that moment. Um, and, you know, logically, realistically, I'm looking back on it, like, you know, could I die from wind? I don't know. But just the situation and the uncertainty and the power of the, the power of what nature was and the smallness of what I was, was uh, hugely overwhelming. So 
that was definitely scary. And um, the fact that we were able to wake up the next morning, even with wind, not as that strong, but um, and get out of there was a relief. Amazing. Were you hiking there? We were biking. Oh, oh, so then biking in the wind. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a lot of uphill getting into Denali, just in case anybody is. But it's really downhill on the way out, which is like the most amazing experience when you realize on the way out, you actually can just coast for about two miles. Good to know. Good to know. Travel tips from Andre. Yes, travel tips. (laughs) Andre, thank you so much. We know we could go on for hours, and maybe we will do one of those epic, like you know, two to three hour podcasts at some point, but I don't have any that are that long yet. (laughs) Well, I would be honored to be that, to be that person if you ever decide to go there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, How can people learn more about you? People can learn more about me by going to my website, which is fortitudeandflow.com. I play a lot on Instagram. Um, I am also fortitudeandflow on Instagram a little bit on Facebook and um, coming soon to YouTube. Ooh. Yeah. So that's exciting. And um, I send out inspiration and posts and tips and all sorts of really fun things through email several times a month. So that's something that people can get connected to through my website as well. And are you, are you teaching yoga now too? I am teaching some yoga. Yeah. So if you are in the, um, in the Boston area, Boston-ish area. I teach in Ada. And um, yeah, that's the deal. I think that's awesome. the deal. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Oh, thank you. This has been such a pleasure and so much fun. And I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, Go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.